Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode number 212 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And to kick things off this week, I need to say thanks to some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Carla Ramos, Teeny J, Emily Job, Pauline Horniblow, David Godwin, Terry Shannon, Diane, Ellie Rusk, Jennifer G, Timothy Campbell, Karen Rodriguez, Rebecca Brink, Shelley Rowland, Julia Stella Lynch, Me, Myself and I, Leanne in Her Veggie Garden, Jessica Ward, Samantha Lee, Mary Reardon and Gillian Van Houten. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week, our film review is Make Two, The Trench, otherwise known as The Film That Shouldn't Have Been Made. Meg 2 The Trench was released in 2023. It is 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb and a whopping 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. A research team encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean, including a malevolent mining operation. So before we begin, the Meg 2 is not necessarily a horror film, but as you guys know, if you've been around for a while, I am partial to a creature feature. I love them. I love a creature feature. Give me a big lizard. Give me a big shark. Give me an unknown creature. I'm all over it. I love them. And as always, when I watch this film, I split it into likes and dislikes. And I have written one single phrase in both the likes and dislikes column. I wrote underneath likes, very fucking little. There are some films that should not be made. And um, I believe The Meg 2, The Trench, was actually one of those films. I liked The Meg 1. It was silly. It was creature feature. It was Jason Statham punching some sharks and shit. What more could you want from life, you know? Probably the one and only good thing about this film is the fact that it had frequent little nods to Jaws, which I'm on board with. If you are going to be a film that is about giant sharks doing giant shark shit, you you want to have some Jaws nods in there. You want to make nods to the original, the OG you know, and it is, you know, midway through watching it, I turned to Nick and I said, isn't it amazing that Jaws came out all those years ago? And I really don't think there has been a shark movie since then that has ever topped it. And I don't think there ever will be like Jaws is incredible. The Meg 2, horrendous film, awful film, so bad. I can't even believe I sat through it and watched it. I paid £19.99 to watch that film on Amazon Prime. That's not a joke. It's not a joke at all. And then my brother texts me to say, I'm watching, um, I'm sitting down to watch The Meg 2 and I was like, don't bother, babe. Like, don't bother. It's terrible. 
He texts me half an hour later to say that he had stopped watching it and he watches some absolute shit. So I'm going to have to be real with you, right? First of all, the film was 14 different films meshed into one. And I don't really know what was going on. The storyline was so bizarrely convoluted and all over the place that I just don't know what the film wanted to be. It honestly could have been five different films with the ridiculousness of all the different storylines that were going on. There were far too little sharks. If I'm watching a film that is called The Meg 2, The Trench, which is about megalodons down in the ocean, I'm, I want to see lots of megalodon action. I want to see those sharks eating people. I want to see those sharks taking bites out of things. I want to see those sharks chasing people. I want to see people trying to get away from the sharks. Barely saw any sharks. How are there not enough sharks in this film that is about sharks? Namely, giant prehistoric sharks. And the thing that really annoyed me about this film is the whole way through, they keep going on about, oh, I hate Megalodons or I hate Megs. They're all giving out about these sharks and they're like, well, we all hate these sharks so much. While simultaneously insisting on burrowing their way down into the ocean, into the shark's territory. What do you expect the sharks to do? They're not going to look at you and go, sorry, Jason Statham. I know that you're a relatively C-list celebrity actor. We're not going to attack you. We're going we're gonna to shirk all these years of evolution that have made us killing machines and we're not going to attack the humans. Don't be hating on them when you're in their territory, milling around, looking at things, actively making the effort to seek them out. Don't be, don't be stupid. Somehow the film is about them going down into the Mariana Trench looking for Megs and then complaining about how much they dislike them. Somehow it also is a film about a malevolent mining gang who somehow went down into the Mariana Trench, managed to survive all the Megs and general random creatures that are down there to build a big mining establishment to mine random minerals that are cost billions of dollars and then they're the bad guys and Jason Statham has to like fight these bad guys as well as trying to survive sporadic Meg attacks, I will say. Sporadic Meg attacks. There's also a giant octopus that's flinging people around with its big octopus tentacles. Somehow there still isn't even enough Meg and octopus when the Meg and octopus are having a fight. It's inevitable, of course, it was going to happen. It's not a spoiler. And actually, I don't care if I give spoilers for this film, okay? You're not gaining anything by trying to watch this film and being surprised by things that happen. And in the last 20 minutes of this film, as often happens with these creature features, you are whisked into this world, this fun island where everything goes wrong and all these creatures are unleashed and all these things are happening. And even then, I didn't care. Even then, I was like, feed this fucking film to the sharks. And I used to fancy Jason Statham. Like I did. I thought he was hot. I don't know why I thought he was hot, but I did think he was hot. But anyway, after watching this film, I no longer think he's hot. The end. Okay. How can you watch a man fight a shark and somehow be less attracted to him. It doesn't make any sense to me. The other thing that I liked about this movie, I will say it had a pretty banging soundtrack. Okay? It had a banging soundtrack and I liked the soundtrack. Everything else <laughs> was a crock of shit. And I'm so irrationally angry about it. I'm so annoyed about it. I want my £19.99 pence back. Okay? Me and Nick sat and watch this film for whatever it was, two hours of our lives wasted. That's two hours of my life that I will never get back. I could have spent those two hours playing Roller Coaster Tycoon and maybe passing a scenario. But no, I watched a film about sharks that had two little sharks in them. And look, I don't care, you know, watch the film if you want. Don't say I didn't warn you. 
There just aren't enough Megs in the film. I, w- I want to see some shark action, okay? If you want to watch a good shark film, just go back and watch Jaws for the umpteenth time. Don't bother watching this, even if you do think Jason Statham is hot. Actually, particularly if you think he's hot because this film will ruin him for you. I'm going to give it one star because I can't give it zero. I'm giving it one star for the soundtrack and for the references to Jaws throughout. I'm so annoyed. This was this was very stressful. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Which brings us to our story this week. Now, our story this week is a little bit shorter than usual, the reason for that is twofold. Number one is that I'm currently on tour with a show, so I'm pretty busy at the moment and trying to manage my workload accordingly to be able to tour this show. And secondly, I started researching for this story. It's been on my list for a while, as they often are. And then I realised, oh, there aren't actually very many first-hand ghost stories about this place, even though it is probably outrageously haunted. And let's just get started. Let's get into the story of Spike Island. Um, actually, before we begin, isn't Spike Island like the best name for a spooky island ever? That's what it's actually called. I mean, come on. It was destined to be a spooky island. The story of Alcatraz is captivating both from a historical perspective and a paranormal perspective. The idea of this isolated rock where the worst of the worst were sent to suffer is simultaneously intriguing and terrifying. You imagine what life must have been like in a place like that, both full of routine and unpredictability. How did people work there? Why were people sent there? What are the stories of rebellion and escape? Little did I know that there is an Alcatraz of sorts closer to home. Maybe I'm just a bad paranormal researcher, but until Adam and Dulce from Weekly Creep visited this place, I was blissfully unaware of its existence. How I was unaware that Ireland had its very own little Alcatraz is beyond me, and actually it wasn't very little because Alcatraz could fit comfortably inside this prison. But yet, it exists, on the south coast of Ireland, off the coast of Cove, County Cork. It's a little island called Spike Island, an island that has been inhabited in some way or another for the last 1,300 years and an island which seems to continue to be inhabited by the souls of those that perish there. Life on Spike Island was not always fraught with turmoil and tension. In 635 AD, the island was gifted to Saint Mahuda, who is also known as Saint Carthage. 
he had miraculously healed the High King of Ireland of some disease or another, and as a result, the High King gifted him land that would be his forevermore. St. Mahuda set about establishing a monastery on Spike Island and was very successful. A group of about 40 monks set up a monastic outpost on the island and St. Mahuda lived with them for a year, helped with the establishment of the settlement and then left to build more monasteries. The monks seemed to have a simple but holistic life on the island. They conducted daily pilgrimage walks around the island, they farmed the land and they fished the waters. There is evidence that they created a very important ecclesiastical document while on the island. In 820 AD, the Vikings came crashing into Cork Harbour and the monks temporarily left the island. And there is evidence to suggest that the monks remained on the island right up until the 16th century, meaning that the monastery was likely in operation for 900 years. That was until Oliver Cromwell. Now look, I'm not going to go into a history lesson about Cromwell's brutal and bloody Irish conquest. But I will say that if you know little about Irish history, there is a reason why, even now, hundreds of years later, he is still spoken about with contempt. During the Cromwellian years, Spike Island was used as a prison for the first time. It's important to note here that prison is not technically the right term, but it was used as a holding point for prisoners that were due to be shipped off to other countries as punishment for their perceived crimes. Dermot Macion Vui McCartig was a Jacobite poet and a native of County Cork, and he wrote in one of his poems, After they had laid low their armies, in Spike Island they imprisoned thousands without food or drink. During this time, an estimated 50,000 Irish people were imprisoned and sent to North America and Caribbean islands like Barbados and Jamaica. Cromwell absolutely wreaked havoc in Ireland. And when he had defeated and slayed as many people as he could, he then rounded up as many enemies of England or potential enemies of England as he could and removed them from the country. The thinking being that if they were removed, this would quell any further chances of rebellion. In 1779, the first military fortification was built on Spike Island. Many powers had the idea of using Ireland as a back door to invade England, and thus there was a need for large-scale military protection of Cork, which was one of the most significant harbour points. Prompted by the American War of Independence and the Napoleonic Wars, the 24-acre star-shaped Fort Mitchell was started in 1804 and is one of the largest forts of its type in the world. It was the cutting edge of military technology when it was completed around 1850. But the years of the construction of the fort occurred during an incredibly dark period in Irish history. And this passage is taken directly from the Spike Island official website. The famine came to Ireland in 1845 and by 1846 death gripped the land. Eventually, over a million would die, and as many as two million would emigrate in search of salvation. Those starving were forced into desperate acts to stay alive, and crime increased dramatically. Much of it was petty crime of food and low-value goods. 
Many who were convicted of a crime were sentenced to transportation overseas, which served the dual purpose of populating the colonies and ridding Ireland of its unwanted. But foreign colonies like Australia were beginning to refuse to take convicts, complaining of the quality of the convicts being sent. The prison authorities were overwhelmed by spiralling numbers and locations were urgently scouted to hold the ballooning convict population. Spike Island continued its role as a home to the British military after the British-French wars ended with the defeat of Napoleon. But the fort was incomplete at this point. Its necessity for defence was diminished and it was soon eyed up by the prison authorities as a potential solution to their problem of overcrowding. This arrangement suited the military as the free labour could be put to use finishing off incomplete areas of the fort. Advances were made and on the 9th of October 1847, the first prisoners in two centuries were held on Spike Island. When 109 men were transferred to its hastily converted accommodation blocks, It was anticipated that the island would hold 800 prisoners, but within a few short years, the numbers swelled to over 2,300, making it the largest known prison in the world. Prisoners were even sent from the UK to fill its cells, and it held over half of the prisoner population of Ireland. No women were held on the island, but men and boys as young as 12 were. An especially converted children's prison held up to 100 boys in a former ammunition storehouse, the youngsters sleeping in hammocks suspended from chains in the roof. The conditions for the men and boys were horrific and overcrowding was a serious issue. New blocks were brought online like a timber prison and an iron prison, but these also quickly were filled to more than double their capacity. As a result, the death rate was extortionate at over 10% of prisoners and as many as 1,000 would die in the care of the prison service in the first six years of its existence. In its 36-year existence from 1847 to 1883, over 1,300 would perish and as many as 750 died under the watch of the first surgeon on the island who was said to be an alcoholic and an opiate addict. Today, two mass graves on the island attest to these awful conditions. For those who were unruly in prison, the treatment was even worse as they were sent to solitary confinement in the dark cells. These were initially converted toilets at the end of the deep tunnels under the fort's walls at Bastion 3. But eventually, in 1858, a purpose-built punishment block was started after a warder was murdered. Men held here would be chained to the wall by their neck and legs for up to 43 and a half hours a day in windowless, furnitureless cells. They slept on straw on the ground in appalling conditions. The cell block broke many men and its name was cursed across Ireland. There were several suicide attempts and the block was the main reason that Spike Island was described as hell on earth by the penal classes. A sentence to Spike Island was the worst time any offender could do and this was largely attributable to the punishment block. During the convict era in 1847 to 1883 it housed political prisoners who were guilty of 
treason against the crown. In 1938, after Ireland had gained independence from England, Spike Island was handed back to the Irish government and a tricolour flag was raised over the island for the first time, and it became a military base for the Irish Army, before being passed into the hands of the Department of Defence in 1985 and converted once more into a prison. A major riot broke out in August 1985, which resulted in the A Block, which had been built in the 1820s, being burned down, as well as some of the B block. It was agreed that the accommodation had been unsuitable for prisoners, and the riot led to four-man prison cells being constructed. The prison was in operation until 2004. Spike Island's history is dark. From holding pens for convicts being transported to who knows where, to famine jail, the island was a place where thousands of people died young and old. It seems inevitable that there would be some traces of these people left behind. Stories have circulated on the island for years about odd occurrences and even dangerous happenings. And the island has understandably gained a reputation for being one of the most haunted places in Ireland. In 1941, the island was owned by the Irish and was used as an Irish army and naval base. As war raged on continental Europe, Ireland had remained neutral. However, this did not stop Irish men from joining the war effort, nor did it stop Ireland being bombed by Luftwaffe who had overshot their targets. There were genuine and legitimate concerns that Hitler would invade Ireland to gain access to Britain, concerns that were later validated when the plans of Operation Green were unveiled. Spike Island was seen as a place that could be used to defend Ireland should this invasion happen. And it was during World War II that one of the most compelling stories of Spike Island occurred, and it concerns probably the most cited apparition on the island. The Gaunt Gunner. Being on guard was long and boring, even in war times. He tried to remind himself constantly that the Germans could attack at any minute. But even with that reminder, the war seemed like it was a million miles away. John yawned and stretched, shaking his head to try and liven himself up a bit. Without any noise or warning, he felt the back of his neck prickle, the hair standing on end. He knew instinctively that someone was creeping up on him from behind. His deep, primal intuition had kicked in and he wheeled around in his post. He squinted into the dim light and could make out the shape of a man walking slowly towards him. His mind ticked over a million different possibilities. Was it an islander? Was it somebody who had somehow made it onto the island? Was it one of his fellow soldiers out on a late night stroll? None of these possibilities seemed likely. The man was still moving closer. His gait was slow, but not laboured. It was steady and determined. As the man moved closer, John raised his gun. Shit. It was a man in uniform, a soldier. But it was not the same uniform that John was wearing. Halt! Who goes there? Nothing. The advancing soldier didn't flinch. He just stayed coming, slow and steady. Shit, this was serious. 
John raised his gun and shot straight up into the air. But nothing. The unknown soldier moved even closer. His uniform was different, but John seemed to recognise it from somewhere. There was an air of familiarity about it. John raised his gun in front of him. The unknown soldier didn't flinch and continued walking towards him, his face almost visible. John tried once more. Halt! Who goes there? But nothing. John took a steadying breath and shot just to the right of the unknown soldier, purposefully missing him but showing the soldier that he meant business. But the unknown soldier stayed coming. Despite himself, John lowered his gun in shock as the advancing unknown soldier got closer and closer. John winced. As the unknown soldier was right in front of him, he was ready to fist fight but cursed himself for not just shooting him. But the unknown soldier passed right by him and straight through the wall into the guide room. By this point, an officer had arrived and was demanding to know what the gunshots were. John was pale and had the look of a man who was deeply frightened. He explained what had happened to the officer and the officer sent him to bed, willing him to sleep it off and he would take over the rest of the watch. These stories had circulated for a while and the officer had always suspected that it was simply overactive imaginations and good storytelling. He wasn't particularly concerned about this gaunt gunner, as he had come to be known. He settled into his post and smiled to himself about the naivety and gullibility of some of the younger soldiers. This would pass with time. But he was, admittedly, quite concerned about the gunshots. This seemed to be a distinct overreaction for something that should have been a fleeting glimpse He felt a shiver that was all too familiar. The feeling of being watched or of an enemy approaching. He readied himself not knowing what could possibly be advancing on him in the middle of the night. And then he saw the man sprinting across the compound towards him. Straight backed and arms pumping the man was advancing at a terrifying rate. That was not one of his soldiers, the officer quickly realised, and there was no time for pleasantries. He raised his gun and shot once, twice, three times, but the man stayed coming. The officer was a good shot, he had a good eye, and he knew he had hit the man at least once, but the man stayed sprinting towards him. The officer braced for impact, but nothing. The man had disappeared. The officer was shook. Had the stories of the gaunt gunner been true? The next morning, the young soldier approached the officer. He sheepishly apologised for his behaviour the night before, stating that it must just have been tiredness or an overactive imagination or maybe he had just fallen into some sort of waking dream. The officer thanked him for his apology and assured him not to worry. As the soldier turned to walk away, he stopped and turned back to his officer. It was his face, sir. It it really frightened me. I couldn't stop thinking about it all night. There was... There was nothing there. No eyes, no nose, no mouth. His face was just blank. 
kept me awake for ages. The officer attempted to keep his face neutral, but his heart was pounding. He too had seen the man's face. Or lack of one. The image had been stuck in his head ever since. Smooth crevices where the features should have been. It was disturbing. Then there was the uniform. The uniform was a soldier's uniform, but it wasn't one that had been worn on that island for some time. Of course, the gaunt gunner is not the only entity that roams Spike Island. There was so much sorrow and pain and anger and fear on the island for so many years. During famine times in particular, people were sent to prison for the smallest crimes. Starving people who stole food or clothing would often be sent to Spike Island for years. Small children were imprisoned and locked away with grown men. Disease was rampant and the conditions were horrific. Suicide was commonplace. People would often be locked away in the dark punishment cells for literally years. It is thankfully difficult for many of us today to even be able to imagine those conditions. But for the prisoners that lived it, it was a living nightmare. Men who had been incarcerated there in living memory spoke about shadow figures that would move in and out of their cells both day and night. Shadow figures that they would see going down the corridors and disappearing through walls and doors. Recently, two workers were collecting candles from the punishment corridor at the end of their shift. When one looked up, and saw the large shadow of a man move from one cell to the other, and when they looked at their colleague, their colleague had also seen the same thing. One prisoner told how he awoke in his cell one night to hear the sound of a child crying outside his cell door. The child was clearly terrified or in pain or both, and the crying went on for at least an hour. The A block was burnt down during the riot of 1985 and prior to this it would have been the most significant building of the fort. It housed the most prisoners and saw the most footfall. Now it is only a shell but in the 70s it served as a military prison for those army personnel who went AWOL and for some time it was also a barracks. There was one cell in particular that was universally despised. Personnel would literally draw straws to see who would be the one that would have to go into it. One night, a man awoke to see his army colleague being choked by what seemed to be a shadow figure. The man who was being choked was laying deathly still as though he were paralysed. And his comrade could not wake him up no matter how much he tried. Eventually, the shadow figure seemed to disappear and the man shot up gasping for breath. The stories of Spike Island are numerous, from footsteps to disembodied voices. One incident that happened to one of the tour guides was reported on the website Cork Bio. Marion said she had been working as a tour guide on the island for nearly four years. And the spookiest incident that she had was when she was working in the storeroom one time and someone had started stroking her hair. She looked around and didn't see anyone. She continued doing her work and it happened again. She told Cork Bio that it was quite unsettling at the time, but she hasn't thought about it since. 
The history of Spike Island is colourful and interesting, but the island saw a lot of human suffering, a lot of pain and turbulence. It seemed inevitable that the energy would have left an indelible stain on the island. So Spike Island is kind of one of those funny places to research in that, you know, it's often talked about as being like super haunted and all these things happen. But finding actual accounts of things that have happened to people is slightly more difficult. It's almost like these accounts kind of live in oral tradition rather than having been written down. And the story about the soldiers seeing the gaunt gunner actually came from a newspaper article that was from 1941 where they talked about what had happened to them. And that in turn came from a video um, on YouTube called Amy's Crypt. The link is in the description. And Amy's Crypt is, I would say, a really good YouTube channel to watch if you like watching people investigate spooky places. She often does really interesting places. She goes all over the world. Like she's, she's, their videos are great. They're not sensationalized. They're straightforward. It gives a really good rundown of the history. Definitely worth a watch if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, I just knew so little about Spike Island. I don't understand how I knew so little about Spike Island. I I feel like it's wild that this island exists off the coast of Cork and it's a relatively decent sized island and it has this huge fortress and this terrible, terrible history. I also had this awful realisation, not realisation, because I don't think about Irish history all the time. I think about it quite regularly, but not all the time. And while I was researching for this episode, I was looking up a lot of stuff about Oliver Cromwell. God, Irish history is awful. I mean, big fat boo for Irish history because it's it's not great. Like, uh, it's not great. A lot of terrible things happened in Ireland unnecessarily. And uh, Oliver Cromwell was one of those terrible things that happened in Ireland. If you're not hot on your Irish history, like, there's lots of history of different countries that I'm completely unaware of because obviously I grew up in Ireland. But if you're not aware of Irish history... It is often worth looking into, but just bear in mind that it is incredibly depressing a lot of the time. And I did find it really frustrating to read these stories about people who had been incarcerated and then transported to other countries, the other side of the world, countries that Irish people wouldn't have even heard of. These people were being transported to for being quote unquote enemies of the crown, which is really horrendous because fundamentally at the time, you know, land was being taken off Irish people and given to landed gentry who then would rent out the land back to the Irish people, which is just horrendous. And of course, people would be like, actually, hang on a second. That's that's not okay. I don't really want any of this. (laughs) I don't want this to happen, which ultimately led to the War of Independence. But these people being shipped off to here, there and everywhere for being, you know, supposed enemies of the crown, whatever, whatever that even means. And I can't even imagine being sent to this island off the coast of Cork. Thousands and thousands of people all there just waiting to be transported somewhere, not knowing where they're going, terrified, taken away from their families. The energy on that island must have been absolutely toxic, hideous. And that was before it was even an actual prison. And as an aside, you know, apart from the paranormal stuff, Spike Island housed some really interesting people. And on the website, they have a section all about the people that just different characters that lived on Spike Island, whether they lived on the island or whether they were imprisoned on the island, because there wasn't just a prison on the island. There was actual like people who lived there in a village on the island because they were uh, families of the people who worked in the prison, etc. There was one man called Jack in the Box 
that was his nickname but he was a guy who came up with this scheme for robbing people which I actually think was really clever and basically what he would do is he would pack himself up in a box and he would get his friends to mail him to a destination so he would be put on a train in the box obviously the postage workers and the train workers had no idea that there was a man in the box he would be hoisted onto the train with all the different boxes and at some point in the journey he would wheedle his way out of the box go around to all the other boxes rob as much as he could put it all in the box with him and then the box would be delivered on the other side with him in it and all the stolen goods and apparently they operated this racket for years and I thought you know what that is an effective way to rob trains if you're going to rob trains that is an effective way to do it there was also a girl called like little Nelly who is I think they're looking at saint in her like the Catholic Church are, but she is apparently the reason why in Ireland kids get their first Holy Communion, which is a Catholic sacrament, when they are seven years old. Apparently it's because of her. She lived on the island because I think her father maybe was somebody who was important on the island and then her mother passed away from tuberculosis and some sisters, some nuns took her in and she had this uh, allegedly really amazing religious knowledge from the time that she could talk And the nuns all thought she was really special and eventually she contracted tuberculosis and begged to get her first Holy Communion before she died. And the Pope was like, this is the sign I've been waiting for and changed the age. Wild. There was also loads of people who were involved in the War of Independence. And then there was an Irish gang lord whose name was Martin Cal, who was otherwise known as The General. And if you're an Irish person, you probably will have seen the film The General, but he was locked up in Spike Island for a while in the 80s. And he is one of the people who was involved in pulling off the second most expensive art heist in history. And apparently there are some Gaudi paintings that he stole that are still hidden in the Dublin mountains and he is now dead and nobody knows where they are because he was the only one who knew where they were. Sorry, I'm rambling now about the history of the island because I wrote all these things down in my notes, in my thoughts about the island, which I just thought really interesting characters. What a really fascinating place. And I do feel like I need to get in touch with them to do a spooky vlog. Now, I did get in touch with them before to say, I'm in Ireland, I'd love to come to Spike Island and do some filming, but they never got back to me, but I understand people are busy, etc, etc. And I bet it would be incredible, but also terrifying. But I have to say, I'm absolutely not doing it alone. So until I find somebody to do it with me, I'm not doing it on my own. No way. I'm not going to a big mad island that's got this big fortress on it that's full of like faceless soldiers and shadow people and loads of dead famine victims. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it on my own. I'll go with somebody else and that'll make me pretend at least like I'm really brave, but I am not doing it alone. And there have been pictures taken on the island that seem to show hooded figures, etc. Like if you look up Spike Island paranormal pictures, There are a number of them that show shadow figures or hooded figures. I mean, the hooded figures make sense. It spent 900 years as a monastic site. So 900 years would have been ample time for many monks to live and die on that island. And of course, then there were lots of terrible things that happened. And apparently there's some people that say that on the island, there is something like an entity, something inhuman, that is not part of the prison, as in it is not like a dead soldier or a dead prisoner. And they believe that it is something else, something that is maybe attracted to the negative energy on the island, or maybe it is something that is attracted to bad people that were on the island. Because it's very easy to say, oh, all of these poor prisoners were treated awfully. And they absolutely were treated horrendously. 
And a lot of these poor prisoners, especially during the famine times, were people who were desperate and stole things because they were desperate and ended up in prison. But obviously, if you know, if you're in a prison, there are obviously going to be some people there who've done horrific things and are awful people and do not cope well in society and are dangerous in society. So maybe there's also just bad energy from some of the people who were prisoners there who maybe needed to be there because they were a danger to other people in society for whatever reason. I just think spaces like Alcatraz, Spike Island, old asylums, old kind of institutional schools, all of those places, I think they just must carry such dark negative energy. You know, this place in particular was really horrific at various times in history. And I don't see why that energy still wouldn't be knocking around. And I don't know whether you'd count that as being like, I believe in stone tape theory. I don't know. But what I do believe is that the people on this island, a lot of them were treated horrifically and lived in horrific conditions. And therefore, it wouldn't surprise me if a part of them was left behind. Whatever that part of them is, I don't know. But you best believe I'm going to try and get myself to Spike Island to uh, film a little vlog and try not to die during the night of fright. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It was slightly history heavy, but I think that history of the island is incredibly important to give context of the alleged paranormal activity that happens there. As always, all the links are in the description to all of my sources. If you would like to email in your spooky story, you can do so by emailing it to Podcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and if you are desperate for some extra content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.